ask you to turn in your Bibles, if you will, please, to Hebrews, the ninth chapter. This morning, I'd like for us to consider the history, the result, and the pathway of the ultimate sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've always been enthralled by history. I had a high school history teacher that I remember jumping up on the desk, and he had a, a, a pointer, and he started acting like he was... Um, doing a, a sword fight, and he said, Portugal figured they were getting left out of world conquest, and so they started hot-footing it towards the East Indies. At that point, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. And history was my subject. Now, the problem with history is there's not much future in it. And, <clears throat> and, and, and I do enjoy going up to the history teachers and saying, how do you like teaching history? And they say, oh, I love it. Just love history. I said, not much future in it, is there? They don't get it like you got it. <laughs> when you read the Old Testament and you, uh, you recognize the tremendous stories of antiquity, the stories of history, the children of Israel and all that they had to go through, how exciting that is. And if you read it as a reflective practitioner, as we ought to, Reading the Word of God from the eyes to whom the people it was written and putting ourselves in that kind of situation or in that place, that's how the Bible really begins to take on meaning to us. And when you look at all the things that the children of Israel went through, the 400 years of Egyptian captivity and then moving along and and coming out, receiving the, the Ten Commandments and all of the suffering that they went through as they wandered 40 years in the wilderness and and uh, the, the, the tabernacle and all of the things that, that bring together the heart of Hebrew history. It really is a great lesson for us. In Hebrews, the ninth chapter, the writer is trying to bring their memory back to some historical things that really spelt frustration for the children of Israel. And he's talking about the worship, the tabernacle worship, that was conducted for centuries in the tabernacle and then in the temple. And here's what he says. Chapter 9, beginning with verse 1. Now, even the first covenant had regulations of divine worship and the earthly, earthly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle prepared, the outer one, in which were the lampstand and the table and the sacred bread. This is called the holy place. And behind the second veil, there was a tabernacle which is called the holy of holies. In that holy of holies, there is a golden altar of incense, and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna, and Aaron's rod which budded, and the tables of the covenant, the Ten Commandments, were there. And above it all were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat, but of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things have been thus prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. Morning and evening, all day long, they were entering into that first tabernacle in that outer court, and they were offering those sacrifices day in and day out. But into the second, 
that holy of holies. Only the high priest enters. Once a year, year after year after year, but only one time a year. And he does not enter without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The fact that he was entering in year after year, one time every year. As a matter of fact, Josephus, in his writings of history of the Jewish people, talk about the Day of Atonement, that day when the high priest would enter into the sacrifice or enter into the Holy of Holies and offer that sacrifice. They never knew if God was going to be pleased or displeased. And so they would tie a rope around the ankle of the high priest so that when he went into the Holy of Holies, if God was displeased with the high priest or with the people or with the sacrifice and God struck him dead, the people outside could pull him out by the rope attached to his leg. That's what Josephus says. Josephus also writes that on that day of atonement there were some 250,000 lambs that were slaughtered that day and offered an offering as atonement for the sins of the people. And that the, the blood would flow from the altars and it would flow down uh, little corridors uh, in the ground and it would run out into the brook Kidron until the brook Kidron was scarlet with the blood of the sacrificed animals. The fact that the high priest went in there once a year, year after year after year, was significant in that it showed to the people that no sacrifice ultimately was enough. That you're going to have to keep doing it over and over and over again. And how frustrating that must have been. And the writer also says beginning with verse 7 again, and into the second only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit is signifying this, that the way into the holy place has not yet been disclosed while the outer tabernacle is still standing, which is a symbol for the present time. Accordingly, both the gifts and sacrifices are offered which cannot make the worshiper perfect in their conscience. I want you to hold on to that. These sacrifices that were being offered by the high priest on the Day of Atonement, year after year after year, signifying that the sins were never completely forgiven, there's one thing that happened with those people. Their consciences were never cleared. I want to share something with you. I don't know about you, but I have found myself living under that old law with those old sacrifices, knowing about the sacrifice of Christ, but not letting it have the power in my life that I need to allow it to have. How do I know that? Because my conscience comes back for sins committed 30, 40 years ago, and it beats me up over and over and over again. And I don't know about you. But if your conscience is still beating you up over things that God has forgiven and forgotten years ago, then you've not understood, and I have not understood, the completeness of the sacrifice that Christ offered. He not only offered a sacrifice to take away our sins, He offered a sacrifice to cleanse our conscience. So that we might serve the living God, and that we might be to each other what God wants us to be. And when, in the future, that I have this 
hang-up about my conscience not allowing me to forget and forgive myself because God has already done that, I'm going to have to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And so let's read about that. This sacrifice was intended to clean our conscience. Now, notice what he says. Here we are talking about the sacrifice. Begin with verse 11. But when Christ appeared, now he's talked about this Old Testament sacrifice. He's talked about the Day of Atonement and the high priest going in once a year. And none of that was able to cleanse from sin or cleanse the conscience. He says, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. I want you to flip back, if you will, to Matthew, the 27th chapter. I want to show you something here in Matthew 27. I just want you to read in history exactly when that took place. Matthew 27, beginning with verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there when they heard it began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Notice verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks split. Year after year after year, the high priest would have to go behind that second veil and sprinkle that blood that would be the atoning blood for the children of Israel. It never cleansed consciences and it never took away sins until the death of Christ. And those people must have been very, very frustrated. And yet, in a dramatic Seen on Golgotha when Christ cries out, Why have you forsaken me? And He gives up the ghost and, and releases His Spirit and dies. The temple veil is split. Once and for all, the ultimate sacrifice has been made. No longer will the high priest have to go into the holy of holies, and offer a sacrifice that really was not benefiting the people. Christ went in as the great high priest, the writer of Hebrews calls him. The great high priest went in and offered the sacrifice, and it wasn't the sacrifice of blood, the blood of bulls and goats, which the writer of Hebrews says, no one can be atoned by the blood of bulls and goats. He offered, the great high priest offered the ultimate sacrifice when he offered his own blood. Verse 12, and not through the blood of bulls and, or goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all. And what was the result? He secured eternal redemption. You've seen the history. You've seen the sacrifice. The result of the sacrifice was eternal redemption. The blood of Christ that was offered on the cross of Calvary 
has its intent to have a, a dramatic impact in your life and my life. It's to make us happy. It's to give us peace. It is to keep us from beating each other up and beating ourselves up over and over and over again because of sin that we continually see in our lives. You know, Paul, even though he was a Christian, had that same angst. Part of that angst was this. Part of that angst was this. The things I want to do, those are not the things I do. The things that I should do, those are not the things that I do. Wretched man that I am, I'm just miserable. Wanting to be what God wants me to be, and I can't just seem to make the mark. Can't just seem to, to rise to the level. And so what do we do? What do I do? What do you do? Well, we just try to work harder, don't we? If I could just work a little harder, if I could just serve a little bit more, if I could just do more and more and more and more, I'd have a clean conscience, and I wouldn't be so worried about my sin. And the more we do, the further behind we get, it seems. We go to the cross. We go to the sacrifice. And we see on the cross and in that sacrifice... God giving a free gift. Paul calls it that in the book of Romans. He's given to us a free gift. He obtained for you and He obtained for me eternal salvation. Eternal redemption. But that's not all. He says, verse 13, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, here it comes, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience? Cleanse your conscience. God not only intended for you to rejoice in the salvation that has been given to you through the, the, the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, He intends for you to forget about the past life and the bad things that have gone on in your life. He wants your conscience cleared. And the only way that our consciences can be cleared is when we are holding on to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ every day that we live. That's part of what, what the writer means uh, in, uh, in the book of Luke when he says, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He wants us to reflect on the cross on a daily basis. And he wants us to reflect on the joy that God has given to us by that sacrifice. You are saved and your conscience is cleared. Now live like it. Live like it. How do I do that? How do I live like I have moved past all of the sins of my past, knowing that God has? And how do I live with a clean conscience, knowing that God wants me to have that clean conscience? Well, I think one way is that we have that great peace that passes all understanding. Because we truly recognize that peace comes from having a right relationship with God. And God has done everything that He can possibly do to give us that relationship. That's why Paul says in Romans that we can come with in, into His presence with boldness crying unto Him, Abba Father, my own dear Father. He wants us to understand that God has done everything that He can possibly do to let us have that relationship. 
My problem, and maybe your problem, is I don't live up to the privilege. I don't live up to the privilege of being a son of God. I just, I just know I'm not worthy, and so I just don't even pray that God will open my eyes my spiritual understanding that I might be able to have a better understanding of the relationship that God wants me to have with Him. I don't live up to my privilege. When I'm not living up to my privilege, I'm not thinking about the sacrifice and it's not playing the dynamic, central part of my life existence like it should. We come to services... We sing songs of praise, we partake of the Lord's Supper, and it does have an impact on us. We love each other and we serve each other and we enjoy our relationship with each other. But when it comes down to me being in my private thoughts and in my private world, how do I think about myself? Oh, I'm still so unworthy. Yeah, we're unworthy. Sure we are. We understand that. Let's move on past it. The blood of Christ makes us worthy. The blood of Christ gives us the opportunity and the freedom to come boldly and claim the relationship that God wants us to claim with Him. Abba Father, my own dear Father. We are our own worst enemies. Because we allow Satan to sneak in there and make us think that God doesn't love us. And that God hasn't done enough to bring us into that relationship. If the blood of bulls, goats and bulls, and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish, Cleanse your conscience from dead works, from this this old bad way of thinking and this old bad way of acting and this continually putting ourselves down to praise God and to serve the living God. Oh, God has a direction He wants us to walk and a a direction that that He wants us to live. That's the pathway that comes from the ultimate sacrifice. That's found over in chapter 10. And I want you to read with me that part of chapter 10. Someone has said that you could um, call this section of Scripture spiritual salad. You know, I like salad. I like mixed greens. I like lettuce. And that's why this is called spiritual salad, because there are several verses here that say lettuce, 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 lettuce. So I want you to see, now that we understand the ultimate sacrifice and God wants, and what God wants our relationship to be with Him through that ultimate sacrifice, begin with verse 19 in chapter 10. Here's what he says. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence. Do you have confidence? Do you have confidence? Let me tell you how you can tell if you've got confidence or not. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? That's a simple way to tell whether or not you know that you have confidence as a spiritual being of God. If you've got confidence, you're going to be excited and bold about entering into the very presence of God. 
And the only way you're going to have confidence is not to look at how weak you are and how you don't measure up. You get your eyes off of that because God doesn't see that anymore. All He sees is the blood of Christ. And so to have confidence, you continually embrace the ultimate sacrifice with thanksgiving and joy and with boldness, with confidence, we enter the holy place. And here's where our confidence rests. By the blood of Jesus. By a new, new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, now here comes the salad. Let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's the first bite of spiritual salad. Be more than you've been before, not by your own strength and your own determination, but because with full belief in the cross of Christ and the blood that was shed there, you embrace the redemption and you run into the relationship with God. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Here's the second bite of salad. Let us... Hold fast the confession of our hope. <clears throat> what is the confession of our hope? The confession of our hope is that Jesus died for us. He gave Himself for us. His blood takes away our sins. And He has prepared a place for us in eternity. Our hope. Desire plus expectation of receiving that which is desired. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, always holding on to that, without wavering. Why? Because He who promised is faithful. <clears throat> I'm not as faithful as I need to be. You might not be as faithful as you need to be, but there's one whose faith never wavers, and that's God. He, His promises. His promises are faithful. He is true. He is just. He will follow through with everything that He has said. He has a place prepared. He has a life prepared for you now and a place prepared for you then. And with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, we hold on to that. Verse 24, the next bite of lettuce. And let us... <clears throat> well, let's, let's go back to the other bites. We're still chewing on those for a minute. <clears throat> We look at the ultimate sacrifice, it gives us a joy, it gives us a peace, it gives us a boldness by which we enter into the very throne room of God, and now God has strengthened us by His Spirit, and now He's going to send us in a direction that says, you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ belong to each other. And you have a responsibility for the household of faith. You have a responsibility for your brothers and your sisters. And so he said, knowing all of that and knowing that we have the, 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 the confession of our hope and that God has promised and His promises are faithful, let us consider how to be to each other what we need to be. Here's the way he says it. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How do we do that? Not forsaking the assembly together is the habit of some. 
but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Not so much talking about the Lord's day as the day that the Lord comes again. The closer we get to the return of Christ, let us look again at the sacrifice. Well, let's go back and look at the history. All that God has done through the ages to prepare the earth for the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord coming to this earth and suffering and dying so that you and I might have salvation, redemption, having been bought back, the price being paid by the blood of the great high priest when he went into the Holy of Holies, the very throne room of God, and said, these people who believe in my name, I want them taken care of. And the taking care of us gives us salvation and it cleanses our conscience and it ought to keep us from beating ourselves up over and over and over again and just give praise to God for the salvation that we enjoy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, I'm, I'm ready. I, I appreciate it. I, I love what you've done for me. Now, now, now tell me what you want me to do. I know I can't earn it. I know there's nothing I can do to justify what you've done for me, but Lord, I love you and I want to serve you and you let me know what you want me to do. Well, Dennis, what I want you to do is I want you to turn around and I want you to encourage your brethren. I want you to turn around and I want you to stimulate the brethren. What does he want out of you? He wants you to turn around and recognize that the people that you're sitting on that pew with are your brothers and sisters in Christ and they belong to you and you belong to them and you have a responsibility to them and they have a responsibility to you. Through the love of Christ, we love each other and we stimulate and encourage one another so that we all might serve. And by this will all men know that you are my disciples and that you love one another. All comes back to love. Love we did not deserve. Love that God has given to us through the love of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And then the love that He's allowed us to express to one another. Brothers and sisters, we are so, so blessed. But we can't see it if we don't embrace the sacrifice and quit beating ourselves up about how bad we are. God doesn't see us. That way. He sees us as his sweet, sweet children. I want to tell you, Deborah and I had an opportunity to visit one of those sweet granddaughters last week. And I want to tell you, <clears throat> when I walk in that house, I say, Haley, pick those clothes up. Haley, go brush your teeth. Haley, do this. Haley, do that. <clears throat> what do you think? <laughs> you think that's the way I did it? Oh, <clears throat> how, many of, <clears throat> how many of you watch that? <clears throat> you don't have to raise your hand because you'd embarrass yourself if you did. You watch Honey Boo Boo on that reality show. <clears throat> I call Haley Sugar Boo Boo. <laughs> I didn't go in and I didn't start demanding things of her. If you want my love, you're going to have to measure up. I just dropped on my knees and I said, Sugar Boo Boo, come see me. <laughs> Oh, and that is so sweet. Hey, that's what God wants from you and me. 
with boldness, Haley runs into my arms and I love on her and she loves on me. Deborah loves on her and she loves on Deborah. That's what God wants from you and me. He runs to meet us. Read Luke and the, and, and the prodigal son and, and how the father responded to that, <clears throat> that, that son that had been lost in sin. My son that was lost has now been found. And how the father ran to meet and greet. He didn't say, oh, you really made a mess of that. That's not what God does. But we do it to ourselves because we don't really embrace the love of God. Since the love of God has shed priceless blessings on my head, I have made Him my own. I will hide it in my heart that it never may depart. It will rule here alone. The love of God within my heart. With kindliness and warmth in part. You know that song we sing from time to time? Brothers and sisters, let's embrace it. Let's embrace it for ourselves with a sure, full assurance of faith. And then let it dictate our relationships with each other. That a lost and dying world might come to know that there is a Savior, there is a God, and that He loves us more than anything as proof by the salvation that we enjoy through the sacrifice of Jesus. And then let us be to each other what we need to be. Knowing that one day, Jesus is going to come again, and I guarantee you, it'll all be worth it. Now abide faith, hope, and love. There's going to come a day when faith will be made sight, hope will be made reality, and the only thing that will continue to exist is love. God's love for us, our love for God, and our love for the brothers and sisters. If you find yourself separated from that love, or never having embraced that love, the invitation is being offered that we might pray with you, that you might be baptized if you need to be baptized, because Peter says in 1 Peter the second chapter that baptism doth now save you. All not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, nothing in the water that's going to save you, but here is where you make an appeal to God for a clean conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whatever you need is, we ask you to come while we stand and sing.